Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing on Radio 3. I'm Brian Curtis. Sunni militants reportedly take over Iraq's biggest oil refinery. The Fed effectively gives the green light to equity markets, and Amazon unveils a new phone. Can we build a better phone for our most engaged customers? Can we build a better phone for Amazon Prime members? Well, I'm excited to tell you that the answer is yes. Yes, that is Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, and we'll have more on this in just a minute. Fed Chief Janet Yellen saying that U.S. growth is rebounding, inflation is below Fed targets, and thus not a major concern, and that equity markets are not overvalued. Inflation continues to run well below our objective, and um, we're still some ways away from maximum employment. And for the moment, I don't see um, any trade-off whatsoever in achieving our two objectives. So no trade-off. She means no cost, really, at keeping rates this low and continuing to buy bonds. So we'll flesh this out for you in just a moment. The markets interpreted the Yellen uh, commentary uh, as very positive. The S&P 500 was up 15 points at 1956. That was a new record. And the Dow was up 98 points at 16,906. We also have this. Economic activity is rebounding in the current quarter and will continue to expand at a moderate pace thereafter. The labor market has continued to improve, and over a number of years in which admittedly growth has come in at a disappointing level, we've still seen the labor market broadly broadly improve, and I expect that to continue. So I played several comments there for you from Ms. Yellen. You might think that's the story, but no, we've got a whole lot more for you. And our guest this morning will help us um, understand what the Fed is trying to do. And we'll also be looking at global markets. David Gaud of Edmund Rothschild Asset Management, Richard Harris from Port Shelter Asset Management, and Alex Wong of Ample Capital. All will be helping us with uh, market action. And Melanie Alshab of CDG Retail Management will be along. So we'll be covering the Fed meeting and the mood of the market. We'll be speaking with Ms. Alshab about how to build a better shopping mall. Well, oil prices headed higher overnight. Brent crude up 81 cents to $114.26. Workers, eyewitnesses, and an Iraqi army officers say that Sunni rebels have seized Iraq's biggest oil refinery. They say army helicopter gunships failed to repel the attack. Other Iraqi officials, though, say that the fighting is still going on. We have more now from the BBC's Gia Ghoul. Since last night, obviously, there has been a f- fierce fighting between ISIS forces, not just ISIS. Obviously, there are other militia, Sunni militia groups side by side with ISIS are fighting uh, government uh, security forces. And obviously, the uh, Beji refinery was cont- being controlled by special forces from uh, Iraqi army. But there are conflicting news coming out from there. The government say they are still in control of the BG, but some footage coming out and the ISIS, uh, they suggest that they have taken control of the uh, refinery. 
Again, oil prices up 81 cents to $114.26. The Federal Reserve says growth is bouncing back and the job market in the United States is improving. The Fed reduced the monthly purchase of treasuries and asset-backed securities by $10 billion to $35 billion. Fed Chief Janet Yellen said rates would stay low well after the end of the Fed bond buying. Once we begin to remove policy accommodation, it's the committee's current assessment that even after employment and inflation are near mandate consistent levels, economic conditions may for some time warrant keeping the target federal funds rate below levels the committee views as normal in the longer run. The MSCI All-Country World Index advanced 0.6%. And as I mentioned at the beginning, the Dow was up 98 points at 16,906. If you're looking at the bond market, 10-year Treasury note yields fell 6 basis points to 2.59%. Analyst Guy Labaugh at Jenny Montgomery Scott says that rates will also peak a bit lower than in the past. The, The biggest point we can take away from that is that the Fed's finishing rate, over the long run, once once the economy heals, it's going to be a lot lower than historically it's been. So we'll get to the Amazon story a little bit later in the program, but let's say good morning now to David Gowd, Senior Fund Manager at Edmund Rothschild Asset Management. David, good morning. Good morning. Also uh, kind of peculiar was that in the latest uh, forecast by the other Fed uh, voting participants uh, on the committee, they in the uh, so-called DOT forecast, uh, the Fed did see a slightly faster pace of tightening in the cards, but the slight increase was overlooked by the market uh, and you saw you know markets charging a bit higher overnight so what what's your main takeaway from the fed meeting but you know for once i think it's uh, easier to uh, to bring a, a short-term forecast than uh, you know to draw a picture for the next 12 to 18 months uh, what we can take out from uh, what was said last night is that everything more or less goes as planned uh, we're going to see the, the tapering being completed probably in October. And this is probably where we're going to start to have to to raise questions, you know, as to the pace of the first rate hike. And this is going to be the the real issue and the the complex one. No no gaff this time, no six months uh, when talking about uh, what the considerable period meant. Uh, In fact, uh, a lot of people were just saying that it's sort of the, the phrase that comes to mind is, well, it depends. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, th- this is why, you know, wh- wh- what we say right now in terms of investment is that uh, the next few months are extremely favorable and we continue to favor risky assets. But coming October, uh, we're going to have to assess exactly how the, you know, the Fed is going to guide further and when this uh, first rate hike will be coming. And it's clear that if you look at the context of low volatility currently, there is a, there seems to be a major consensus. But come October, I think we're going to see a lot more volatility. I was watching the uh, news conference this morning, and I was a little surprised uh, when she spoke about the equity markets. Uh, she said that the equity markets were not overvalued in looking uh, at historical terms. Now, that's fairly factual, but it's, it's also fairly unusual for a Fed chief to be talking about uh, the level of equity markets. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, if you look at the, the Treasury yield curve in the U.S. right now, it, tells, it seems to say and tell us, you know, a very uh, 
a very uh, an interesting story in a sense that this should be a low growth context and that in a sense you know the fed and the us authorities have not succeeded in, rev- in reviving growth so what we suspect is that uh, the fed needs to use other indicators that show that actually the growth in the us moving forward will be higher than the one percent that the yield curve is telling us right now and you know growth is probably more towards the the two percent and in that sense the equity market is telling us a more favorable and more positive story so you say that the uh, bond buying will probably be done in october and then a critical decision needs to be taken about whether or not uh, you think that say around six months later interest rates might go up but if interest rates do go up and the fed is getting it about right isn't that sort of a good story that the economy is doing well it should be. It should be in the end. I mean, the, the, as you mentioned earlier, the, the whole question will be about the proper timing and how the, the Fed managed the information and the analyzer she disclosed. And that's the whole difficulty. Uh, it's going to take time between October uh, when the tapering is over. I mean, it, they don't want any overlap. I mean, we suspect they don't want too much of an overlap between the tapering and the first rate hike. So how do you manage both in the current months will be the, will be the difficult point. All right. Also on our panel is Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management. Management at Ample Capital. Alex, good morning to you. Good morning. Now, Premier Lee overnight, uh, let's try to link this all together if we can, but first uh, asking about Premier Lee because he said that China will avoid a hard landing. And he also said that the government was going to take some measures to ensure 7.5% growth. Is that, um, is that positive in your view? Uh, I think uh, the market has been reacting positively um, towards China uh, in the recent uh, days, uh, even though we had a very low volatility, but the market is uh, rising gradually. And uh, people, I think, uh, are a little bit positive uh, towards China right now, even though we do not see any revival in the Asian market. But I think uh, general mood is uh, is uh, turning a little bit positive. So do you think now is a good time to buy then? Uh, I think uh, yes, uh, because the downside risk is not too much. Uh, we because you weren't all that positive uh, in the past. Oh yeah, I think uh, um, after the uh, the development in the past few months, I think uh, we probably had seen um, the worst case scenario. I think I think the worst mood in the in in uh, towards China had been over. So uh, we had tested the downside, and probably we would try to test the upside. But of course, uh, the the, the, the upside story is not um, delivering uh, too much right now, but I think uh, we probably uh, would see some upside. David, you're a fund manager, so that means you buy stocks for a living. Uh, do you still like China? No, we do. I mean, we've always been active in China. Uh, it's true that over the past two, three years, you had to be a lot more selective and you can buy the entire market, uh, you know, uh, traditional sectors. Uh, the focus was more on the new economy sector. Uh, that trend continues. So we see opportunities. Uh, there are IPOs in Hong Kong, which are doing extremely well. So this is a market where you can make money. Uh, would you buy the market uh, as a whole at this point? It's interesting from a valuation point of view. We still lack of catalysts, but uh, we're quite pleased, for instance, with what's going on in the property sector right now where prices are finally coming down. Uh, we may see actually a scenario like 2012 or 2008 where, you know, the elasticity is kicking in. And so price down by 10, 15, 20 percent maybe could create some new demand. Uh, there could be some easing on the policy restriction on property as well. Uh, that could actually be a, an interesting indicator as to where the bottom is as far as China is concerned. And then uh, we can build a more positive scenario on China and ha- see have, have a relating. Have you noticed the mood change that Alex uh, referred to? 
Uh, you know, I mean, I think we, we all agree that we knew that in the end the property market would be a key catalyst and we had to see, you know, adjustment taking place. Uh, the numbers out in the months of May are quite encouraging in that sense. So we talked about China and A-shares. What about Hong Kong? The Hang Seng Index is still down for the year, only the Nikkei of the major markets uh, worse off. Um, why do we still languish? Alex? Uh, I think, uh, first of all, we had seen a uh, retreat in those uh, new economy stocks uh, and also Macau. The sec- this sector has been done quite a lot uh, in Hong Kong as well. And um, I think generally people um, are a bit um, conservative towards Hong Kong because we had uh, quite weak retail sales and um, a sluggish property market. But I think we had seen uh, some uh, change in mood, and I said, um, especially towards Hong Kong developers because the asset turnover rate actually um, had increased already. So um, I think there is a, a, a revaluation towards a developers uh, happening on, in Hong Kong. And then Macau is still um, sluggish. But I think uh, this is um, something short term. So And also I think uh, new e-commerce stocks like Tencent probably would revive the, the strength later on. Um, so um, we, should see, uh, we should see some upside, as I said. One of the interesting aspects on Wall Street was even utilities were up today. In fact, utilities were up 2%. Uh, so you mentioned um, Hong Kong property developers. Uh, with rates staying lower for a bit longer, which I think is one of the takeaways mm. from the Fed meeting overnight, do you expect some money to go into REITs and also into utilities uh, uh, maybe today and, and uh, this week? Oh, yeah. I've, uh, actually, they have been uh, uh, turning strong already um, since the um, fall in, in Macau and, and uh, technologies are happening. Yeah. I think uh, we probably would still see... Um, uh, their the firmness uh, to, to to maintain. I think uh, we probably would see a um, an across the board strength uh, in the in Hong Kong, but the rise would be only only gradual because we do not have too much of catalyst in the short term, and uh, people. Um, positive, but they are very cautious as well. So we would see a lower TT uh, market uh, with uh, an upside bias. I'd like to say good morning now to Richard Harris, Chief Executive Officer of Port Shelter Investment Management. Richard, thank you for joining us and welcome to the program. Good morning, Brian. We've just been hearing uh, about uh, the slightly more accommodative Fed than what we thought, even though they're trimming the asset-backed securities purchases and the Treasury purchases. Um, What was your takeaway from the Fed meeting overnight? Does it change your view at all? No, I think certainly from the Fed's point of view, it's business as usual. I mean, Janet has been uh, increasingly smug about how the economy is going, and she's going, she's just carrying on course. Um, I think what a lot of people are forgetting, too, is that as she's um, cutting uh, liquidity injections by $10 billion a, a, a month, um, that's actually an increasing proportion. So she's actually proportionately tightening more every time she does it. So the, uh, what's been interesting is the markets have really brushed it off. If you remember when she first started tapering, the markets were very worried. Now it's just business as usual. Sure, um, but now so people are focused on uh, when the first interest rate uh, increase might come. And it looks like it's further out now if you listen to her, because one, she says that the inflation, the higher inflation numbers that, that came out uh, yesterday uh, don't really bother her that much. She referred to them as noise. And she also said that she didn't think equity markets were overvalued. So do you think that the next big move rather than down is probably up for stocks? 
I think, uh, well, I think in the short term we may well see a pullback, you know, especially as we've had quite a bit of good news here. We're going to have to wait a little while for this. I mean, the story about a, uh, an American economy that's uh, moving ahead slightly, not, in, not, not fast, but just slightly, that story's not a new one, and it's coming out every now and then. I think perhaps over the summer the world's going to concentrate on why is volume so low in the U.S.? We're just making highs. Why are people still not very convinced? Um, and why aren't uh, there's a broader range of people actually buying these markets? Because at the moment, it's actually quite narrow. So I could see markets actually looking towards some of the bad news over the summer months and maybe looking to buy again uh, as we come into the fall. So you really think that the next move is down, that the 10% correction that some people have wanted uh, is nigh? Yeah, well, once it's always a difficult thing with you on analysts, because um, I think people are looking to get in. But uh, I think what's happened is is that there uh, is still quite a bit of bad news out there. And I think your previous speaker was just talking about a catalyst. We've seen quite a bit of good news come out. The markets have crept up slightly, not very convincingly. So there's plenty of opportunity, plenty of room for disappointment. Yes, um, one thing that uh, you might you might agree on that uh, a green light is out there for would be high yield. Um, you know, it's it's not quite as volatile as stocks. It's not as uh, steady and um, as safe as as bonds. Uh, what do you think about high yield at the moment? Well, you know, I, I, I have a slight philosophical question here because people say, well, you know, when are interest rates going to go up? Well, the markets usually discount in advance, and interest rates going up are usually bad for markets. I mean, there's no way we can really get away from the fact. And what we're actually going to hope is that interest rates don't go up so much so that the markets can really accommodate a rise in interest rates. Whether you'd actually get into um, interest rate instruments at the moment, and remember, as in, in these bonds, as interest rates go up, the prices of them go down, so you actually come out worse. Um, I'd be still quite cautious because it always seems strange when people are recommending um, uh, or people are saying, look, interest rates are going to go up, and yet they're still recommending interest rate sensitive assets. So I think if you're going to be consistent, you have to say that what we hope is interest rates aren't going to go up so fast that they're going to damage the equity markets. Um, if they go up too fast, then we could see everything fall off quite sharply. David, back to you. Um, what do you like the most, uh, given this environment at the moment? Well, we're still very uh, positive on Europe overall. Uh, we, uh, we believe that the momentum is carrying on. Uh, we like the peripheral countries. Uh, in terms of asset class, we're still actually favoring equity at this stage. We think yeah, you, you know, the, the, the corporate earnings momentum is probably one of the next catalysts that's going to help because all our discussion so far is very much macro-driven, and it's true that this is essential in terms of flow. But comes the time where corporates should actually deliver numbers which are uh, exceeding expectation, and Europe is probably the place where we're going to see some, some good news. There is this M&A angle as well. So we are quite positive on the, on the overall uh, region. We're also favoring Indian equities, which have done extremely well uh, year to date. That's true. But, uh, you would we still be buying even after the big gains? Yes, because actually, if you compare from sector to one sector, actually, 
country, India, some sectors are still uh, trading at a discount to the region. Uh, if you take the utilities, uh, if you take the healthcare segment, even the energy space in India is only trading at a 5% premium versus the region in Asia. And the profile of growth is actually a lot more attractive. And, uh, you know, at a time where Philippines are overheating, where we see the political difficulties in Thailand, uh, there could be some concentration in flow into the Indian market. And, uh, okay, everybody, stay with us. I want to do this one piece of news first and then get some comment. Uh, the mining unit of Citic Group says that more than half of its aluminum stockpile at a warehouse in Qingdao has gone missing. It said the metal, estimated to be worth about 300 million yuan, was stored at the city's port, which has been at the center of an alleged financial scandal. RTHK's Wendy Wong has the story. Citic Resources said more than 125,000 tons of aluminium, as well as about 7,500 tons of copper, have gone missing. They have been stored at a port pending delivery to buyers. But a mining company was told by Kosin Qingdao that they were nowhere to be found after it applied to secure the commodities earlier this month. Citic said it held documents as evidence of its ownership of the stockpiles. It said it would conduct its own investigation into the missing metals. But some analysts have warned that the loss may be just the tip of the iceberg in the greater scheme of things. There have been allegations that a mainland trading firm had repeatedly used metals stored at the port as collateral to secure multiple loans from banks. Authorities in Qingdao are looking into the allegations. Citic said it was not yet able to accurately assess the impact of the alleged fraud on the company. Alex Wong, uh, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital, is with us, along with Richard Harris on the line from the UK, and David God is in our studios. Alex, um, you know, this this story has been around now for about the last week or 10 days about um, this kind of uh, shenanigans in uh, commodities held and, and being used as uh, collateral for loans. This is a big scandal that's kind of, um, you know, uh, unfolding. Well, yeah, but I think uh, the market had been expecting, uh, had had been, um, uh, it is not a very a big surprise to the market, I think. And of course, it would affect um, the city group a little bit and also uh, the Qingdu, Qingdu port uh, as well. But I think uh, the overall impact to the market will not be too much. So do you not worry too much about stories like this corruption and, uh, and these types of um, uh, malfeasance that, uh, you know, people do worry about about China? No, I think uh, people do have a very um, negative expectation for China for some time already. We had been a, a very bad market uh, for the last five, few years, and um, I think uh, this this uh, the China the new authority actually is cleaning up the masses. So I think uh, this uh, will not um, dampen too much the sentiment. Okay, Richard. Final word for you. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, caution at the moment, uh, so I imagine you'd be quite cautious about China. Well, certainly this collateral story, which I heard first through the commodity uh, dealers, is is pretty negative because if you that that's one situation. But if you add that to all the empty buildings you see in China, um, all the investment that's that's been um, uh, almost wasted, and the shadow banking sector altogether, you've got a build up of a series of really very negative bits of news. Now, I've no doubt that the central government has a few aces up their sleeve to deal with any potential crises that may come along. But these are still big issues for a country to deal with. All right, Richard. Thank you very much for being with us. Richard Harris, uh, CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management, David God from Rothschild Asset Management, and Alex Wong from Ample Capital. Well, the shopping malls of the future are going to be much different from today. Exactly how this new retail world will look is unclear, but we're joined now by Melanie Alshab, Senior Vice President at CGG Retail Management. Uh, Melanie, good morning. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yes. So, you know, we've got these all these converging uh, influences, big data, Internet of Things, uh, uh, tracking uh, that's done by uh, smartphones and the like. Uh, how will shopping malls be affected? Well, I think the two biggest technologies that we should keep our eye on are actually the Internet of Things and big data, because they have the potential uh, and are changing the way not only that we design and operate shopping malls, but also could potentially change the economics of the retail real estate sector. So these are really two transformative technologies um, that we're seeing evaluated and being used more and more inside shopping malls. Okay, so, so not everybody of, not everybody knows what Internet of Things is briefly, just the all kinds of things out there being connected and data being fed through to be analyzed by computers. So how does that affect a mall? Well, the Internet of Things is really about the stuff that used to be dumb devices now being smart devices. I mean, it's things like, you know, the thermostat in your house and your garage door. And so they're now smart so that your garage door at your house can now say, hi, I'm your garage door, I'm still open. And if it's connected to the Internet, you can tell, you can tell your garage door to go ahead and close yourself. In, the, in a retail mall, we have hundreds of these devices, cameras, thermostats, LED advertising panels. And with the Internet of Things, not only can we get information from all these devices as they stream information to us, but we can also send a, send a message to these devices. So if it's a thermostat, we can tell it to adjust itself. But if it's an LED screen, for example, we could send a personalized message to a shopper walking by that LED screen. So does it That's mean when both, I... Both those I was going to say, does it mean when I walk by Brooks Brothers, I'm going to get a, a little note that says that, um, you know, the kind of suits I like are 30% down in price? It could be that. It could be something that when you're walking with your friend, and I know you've been in the mall for a couple hours, and I know you're with your friend, and I know what your, both you and your friend's preferences are, that I could say, hey, you know what, you usually leave right now, but there's a great new restaurant that just opened. Here's a two-for-one special for you. And is your, is your research showing you that people like this or that they feel somewhat um, scared by it because it seems to be tracking them where they go? Well, I think that's an interesting question. First of all, people are becoming much more aware of the fact that they're being tracked. They're aware that the little games that they download on their Android phones, you know, seven out of ten of those actually track track them. So, that, first of all, people are becoming much more aware that they are being tracked. And as long as they feel that what they are giving up in terms of privacy, they're getting a very good offer in response to that, they're okay with it. But it has to be disclosed to them and people have to understand that that's the trade that they're making. They're giving us a little bit of insight into how they like to shop. And in return for that, they get a better deal that's personalized just for that. So this can be good for people, and it could be good for the malls. Um, what about this notion of um, of showrooming, uh, of, of you know people going into malls and looking at stuff and then finding out they can get a better price online, and so they buy online? Is that going to kill malls? Well, that's been going on for a really long time, too. I mean, it used to happen even with the catalog shoppers. So I don't think it's going to kill malls. But what I do believe and what, what we now have the data actually to support this uh, position is that the most valuable customers are those customers who actually shop both online and offline. So if you're coming into my store and you see something that I like and you go back to my website and you buy it, I don't really care from a retailer perspective where you buy that item. Whether you buy it in my store or online, I don't care. Now, the mall owner might care because a traditional benchmark that we've used is mall retail store sales. But maybe it's the benchmark that needs to change and not the way that shoppers are shopping because I think we're going to have variants 
little influence on the way shoppers are shopping. And in 30 seconds or so, will, will mall operators uh, still be passive or will they try to get an active stake in, in services uh, on the data side? I think that there, right now there's a huge business that, that exists that identifies mall shoppers and who they are. It's just not being done now by the mall owners. So I think that mall owners will move towards a data-driven business model uh, both to benefit their shoppers and the retailers. Gosh, I wish I would have given you more time. Why didn't you tell our producer you were a good talker and you deserved a lot more time? Uh, so I have to blame you, not me, for getting to you so late. Sorry about that. Anyway, the show is done. I have to say goodbye. Thank you. Melanie Alshab, Senior Vice President, CDG Retail Management. Me joking, but yeah, she's a good talker. Wish I would have given her a bit more time. Okay, the weather today, mainly cloudy with showers, a few thunderstorms. That's probably a forecast good for any day in June. The Transport Department announces that just at this time, a traffic accident at the fast and middle lanes of Kapshoi Mun Bridge Airport bound rain lanes are closed to traffic. So be mindful of that. Money for nothing at 8.30. The latest in news now with Samantha Butler. The Iraqi government has formally requested U.S. air power support in its battle with Sunni jihadists. America's top military commander, General Martin Dempsey, confirmed the Iraqi request but didn't say whether the U.S. would act on it. Lukman Faley is the Iraqi ambassador to the United States. There's a lot of reflection now going on within the military infrastructure. We've changed some of the high commands. Maybe more will follow. But the threat is an immediate threat now. Alone, it will take more blood, it will be vicious, it will be dirty. What we're saying is that we need the support of the United States and other countries because of the urgency of the ground and because of the type of enemy we 